0: Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington state. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek, University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one, only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join, and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that
1: out, no matter how hard it rains.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to an emergency podcast edition of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Hauser. You can find me on Twitter at Hawk Blogger, and I'm joined this evening by Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And Jeff, we're here to talk about this is why. If you haven't already given the show a like and subscribe to the channel, this is why you got to do it because you never know when the Seahawks are going to make a move that we need to talk about. And today is one of those days. Uh, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG also joins us on the show. Jeff, let's start with you. Uh, Fill people in on what the news is of the day. What happened, and why are people here to hear about it?
1: Um, the Seahawks made a trade, and a pretty big one. Um, funny enough, me and Brian have been throwing names at each other for a couple weeks now, just thinking of what that area And three weeks ago, we texted each other about Leonard Williams. And the Seahawks pulled up a trade today for Leonard Williams, and it was not a cheap one. They gave up uh, two draft picks, a second-round pick in this coming draft, And a fifth-round pick in the following draft, both to take on Leonard Williams, who is scheduled to be a free agent after the year and does not have a contract for beyond this season.
2: Dana, you and I both love a good defense. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: How do you feel? How did you feel when you heard the news of this trade announced this afternoon? Or, yeah, kind of this morning.
3: Yeah, it was early. Um, I, my initial thought was they actually did it. Like, I really didn't think that they would do anything. They're just not trade deadline people, right? Like that's just not how it rolls usually. Um, so I was thrilled that they actually, like, I was real surprised at first. And then I saw who it was and I was like, oh God, this is a Pete Carroll player. Like it just made sense to me, you know, and if you look and I know we're going to talk about it, I know we're going to talk about, you know, he's from USC and Pete's known him forever and like all of those things. But I was also really excited because this is the position we've been talking about forever, right? And they didn't train for an offensive lineman. They didn't go, you know, after some other weird position, they actually went after the position of need. And so I was, I was thrilled.
2: Love it. Jeff, how about you? Uh, Other than surprise, what, what was your initial, initial reaction to this move?
1: I was taken back by just the sticker shock of the price. I got a text from uh, you and Evan saying like, was it just for a fifth? And I didn't know what you were talking about. I didn't see the tweet. So <laughs> I start, I'm like, a fifth, what happened? And then I look at it, and you're like, no, no, it was a second. And I was shocked because when we talked about Leonard Williams a couple of weeks ago, we are like, well, he's going to be a rental player. He's probably going to cost a third or a fourth. And it brought back memories of the Sheldon Richardson trade. So I was still a little taken back by the price just watching the team the last few weeks. They're – I still don't know if there is this the time to buy a rental player. So a lot of my thoughts will change if they actually end up extending him, but I thought they overpaid, but don't get me wrong. I think Leonard Williams is a good player. There's a reason I brought him up to you. I think he feels exactly what this team needed, but I do think they overpaid.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I love that. We'll get into it. And this is, this is why, you know, everyone's got these different reactions. My very first, my very first time I read the tweet, I saw fifth rounder for Leonard Williams. And I was like, I just talked about that last week. I was like, Hey, if they do something stupid, like they take a fifth rounder for Leonard Williams, let's do it. And then I was like excited. And then I saw and a second. And I was like, Whoa, (laughs) that's a big difference. Um, and there's, I think there's a fair amount of nuance to this trade. So I think we'll get into it. We'll talk about some of the, the nuance there. But um, here was my take last week that I will repeat for people that missed it. And I still feel it this week. The Seattle Seahawks and this front office, John Schneider, Pete Carroll, 13 years of drafts, whatever it's been now since 2010. They have never... Never, ever, not once, drafted a single defensive tackle of the impact or talent level of Leonard Williams. Hasn't happened. They had an opportunity to draft potentially that impact tackle in the draft this year with Jalen Carter. They decided not to, and I think for good reason. And they went there and got a franchise altering corner. But my general read was looking at this, thinking about free agency, thinking about draft. It is so hard to get an impact defensive tackle. I'm not talking about the elite of the elite, but an impact defensive tackle that I thought the Seahawks needed to be looking for them whenever they could get them. And that included now. And that included Leonard Williams. So I think there is a way to look at this as actually that it was a reasonable price especially if you're considering what they're spending out of their cap for this year and some other factors there's ways to look at this as it was an expensive price pretty obvious but really what this comes down to is there's no doubt they added an impact defensive tackle and probably the most talented defensive tackle they've had on their roster since michael bennett if you consider him a defensive tackle although he played a lot of edge And Leonard Williams can play all four spots. He can play edge. And one of the things we're going to talk about, there's some amazing film of Leonard Williams going up against Trent Williams of the 49ers and playing him pretty evenly. Like, we don't have a guy that can do that. We didn't have a guy. So, look, let's, let's get into it a little bit more about what this means, what the implications are. But for right now, for right now, it's safe to just be happy. That second round pick and that fifth round, that's tomorrow's problem. The extension and whether he signs him, that's tomorrow's problem. Right now, this Seahawks team is considerably better than the team that's five and two yesterday, first place in the AFC West, second place in the NFC overall. <clears throat> just a game out of first. Right? Yeah. I don't think there's any argument to that, right, Jeff?
1: No. And um, the, one of the things that the Seahawks have done really, really well this year, just what well, they've gotten out of Jaron Reed and what they've gotten out of Mario Edwards. And but the thing, if you truly analyze their roster, they were one injury away from a pretty disastrous situation. And if you pull, if Jaron Reed got hurt and you got to play Miles Adams or Cameron Young, the man of snaps, after Mike Morris went down, they were really playing with fire if, in the way that position group was built. And they just completely solved the biggest roster issue for, for, at least for this year. Because now if one of those guys gets hurt, you're totally okay. You would basically have what you had yesterday. And like, if you look at Mario Edwards, his productivity started to drop a little bit. He's probably playing too many snaps. And when you go up against that hellish schedule they have coming up with Philly and Dallas and the giant, I mean the the ref, Niners twice and the Eagles. You can't be trotting out like a tired Jaron Reed and Mario Edwards, and that's all you got. So they just not only fixed their depth problem, they got a frontline player, and that makes those games a lot. Like you said with Trent Williams, that changes. And Mary, like uh Williams is not just like a physical; he is like a like physical freak. Like he is long, he's big. If you watched his snaps against the Niners early this year, he looked like one of the best players on the field. So, like, if we're just if we're throwing out the price for a second, just talking about the impact of the player, he is a damn good player. He's not an elite. Dexter Lawrence is the elite guy in the right. team. He's a tier down from him. He's, I think, a better player than Draymond Jones. And they, they got a lot better at what I thought was a danger zone.
2: Dana, I'm going to come to you in a second. We've got a couple super chats here. I want to get to uh, 12th man North. Uh, thank you for the super chat says would, would have cost a third if New York Giants didn't eat the salary. Dan, did you follow the the salary stuff? Do you want to explain that for folks that don't? And thank you for the super chat, 12th man, Norris.
3: Yeah, so it was interesting. What came out today between pressers and conversations between New York and Pete and and everyone, it came out that there were multiple teams involved in these conversations. And the Seattle Seahawks had been talking to them um, for a few weeks about this player, apparently. So, When they came out. And so, what happened is there were $10 million, there was $10 million left in guaranteed in his salary for this year um, for Williams. And what happened is there were multiple teams that had a third round pick, supposedly, on the table. And so, Seattle wanted to bump above them. So, the conversation happened that they would give them the second round pick if they ate the majority of the rest of that. Ten million dollars for this year what is left for seattle is the vet minimum which is rated right about six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. and the reason for that is seattle has to pay him for playing for their team so they can't not pay him anything so the giants are going to eat that which is huge for seattle i think seattle was at what seven seven and a half million yep. left in the cap and so therefore that was a huge they get this player for basically no money this year yes they did have to p- bump up to the second to hop over those couple of other teams that had offers on the table. And so that's, that's why they did it. And I know that there's a lot of people who are upset about that second round number. Um, and Pete tried to explain it the best he could Of Oh, well, but we have this extra third round. Well, yeah, but you know, sort of thing, but at the same time, this is a player they wanted. Um, it, it was very interesting. And I'm, I'm sure we're gonna talk more about this, but both Jamal Adams and Julian Love have played with him. Um, and Nwosu played with him. at usc pete has known obviously he loves those west coast players and so he was watching him for a long time so this isn't a known entity as a person and as a player and i think that's why they were so focused on him
2: yeah i think those are all great call outs so Mm -hmm. uh super chat from michael mathis one of our most generous super chatters always appreciate it michael he says, "Crazy trade. Time will tell if it's worth the draft picks we gave up." I think that's my take for now. Anyways, we're gonna ignore the athletic article and Pete Carroll flipping into whiteboards in this in his overall chaos. For right now, Michael, yes, we're not gonna talk about the Pete Carroll article, although that might come up Wednesday at our normal slot. So that was a fantastic article. Thank you, Michael, for the super chat as always. Uh, one more super chat here from Will. Uh, hope I'm pronouncing this right, Sladich. Uh, I like the trade for Pete. I like like the trade. Pete isn't here for. Oh, I like the trade period. Pete isn't here forever. And what is a second round pick? If we time and time again, have shown the inability to identify quality defensive line talent. I spent a second on proven talent there. I'll spend a second on proven talent. Yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. Um, And look, where have they spent second round picks recently? They spent two second round picks on running backs. They spent a second round pick on Derek Hall, second round pick on Boye Mafe. Um, you know, back in the day, they spent a second round pick on Jaron Reed, on Ethan Posick. We've seen second round picks on Malik McDowell, which would have potentially been their best defensive tackle and only good defensive tackle, like impact defensive tackle, we'll never know. Um, so second round picks are valuable. Um, DK Metcalf, second round pick, like they are valuable, <laughs> so let's not get it twisted but finding a good defensive tackle is really tough. And and here's my here's one of my reads. I think I said this earlier this year. I think John Schneider is not foolish. They What did they do? They exited last season in the press conference. And what did they talk about that they needed to do? That they needed to get more physical, more dynamic on both sides of the ball. And we all was like, okay, great. There's a bunch of tackles for them to go after. And they didn't really go after them. And he knew Jalen Carter would have been a perfect fit and they couldn't get themselves to feel okay drafting him. I think John Schneider, as soon as he took Devin Witherspoon, was like, I'm getting a defensive tackle too. It's going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm adding another one. And I think that's what happened today. In his mind, I think he got his cake and got to eat it too. And if, if you had said that, somehow the Seahawks had drafted an impact defensive tackle with their last first round pick or a second round pick. We would feel differently because it's a younger player, but it's just a need. This team really had a need for another player and a, not just another guy, but a dynamic player on that interior line. Jeff, you look like you're about to say something.
1: Yeah, no, it's, you can't argue just like the on field impact of it. It's just, there's a lot of fans now and a lot of, people on Twitter now who start to think like GMs and they evaluate things differently. It's one of the things that's so interesting about Twitter and why we all talk to each other. There's a lot of people who view it from the lens of a cap builder or a team builder, and they look at process. They don't just look at what the fan wants. And that's like the two parts of my brain that are conflicted because if you look at like the process of the trade, it's a big risk. And there are some people that are going to hate this trade because we saw what happened with sheldon richardson they traded a second round pick for sheldon richardson in a similar situation where they needed defensive lineman he played okay didn't sign here and it turned out to be a complete waste and leonard williams is two years older i think than richardson was at the time they made the trade and that part of my brain it can't help but come back and yeah i do wonder is this the year you should be doing a rental player where you're sort of playing with house money still and you still got such a young team, but at the same time, the NFC might never be this down again. And San Francisco is down. And
2: well, Let's talk I'm... about that. I'm going to interrupt you there because this is the interesting thing. How do you all interpret this trade? I don't interpret this as a rental player, and I don't interpret it as a going all in move. I, I, I absolutely believe that they made this move with an eye on re-signing him and that their point of view is, He's going to go to a team with a great culture, a great locker room, which we just were talking about, the athletic article, that's going to be fighting for first place in their division, making the playoffs, and that he's going to resign with them. That's what I think. And I think they're they're expecting him to be part of their team over the next three years, at least. And this was the cost that they decided was worth making that move. But it sounds like, Jeff, before I get to you, Dan, it sounds like mm-hmm. you you think this is more potentially a rental
1: I don't know if it's potentially a rental. I just think there's a significant risk of a rental. Mm-hmm. You can't franchise him because he's been franchised twice already by by mm-hmm. New York. So if you franchise tag him again, he's getting paid quarterback money, and that will destroy your cap. And there's another quarterback question lingering that we'll talk about another day. But um, it just there's the risk of they can't come through a deal with him and he walks and. That's always a risk, and it could be I re- I don't know if it's going to be a rental player. I think you have a ten game sample. You see how he fits in. You see how he plays. And if they re-sign him and they get him back in a relatively not like devastating number, I think the potential to be a very good trade. But if it's just a rental plate and you end up in the same potential spot you were now, we're going to be pretty pissed about this in April.
2: Dana, do you interpret mm-hmm. this as a going all in, trying to win it all this year? Or do you think it's a more of a move? with an eye on the the next few years as well.
3: I I think it's the, I think you're right, dead right on that number. I think it's the next three years. I think they have their eyeballs to get through, let's call it the Gino era or whatever we want to call it or the Pete era. You know, we only have him for so many more years too. And so I think this is a player that they actually wanted, that this is a player that they have wanted for a while. um, Maybe couldn't make it happen. Maybe he didn't want to leave New York when he went from the Jets to the Giants, you know, and so that's where he was at. But, you go from the worst team in football, let's be quite honest, the Giants are an absolute disaster. They've had some locker room issues. Look what they're doing to Saquon Barkley, to a team who's – Known for a great locker room for a good coach. He knows people there. He understands, you know, the way that the position that they're asking him to play. I mean, he'll be able to step right in and play. It's not like it's not like the dude hasn't had to figure out new plays and new playbooks. He's had a different coach or a different, you know, coordinator almost every damn year. So he's had to adapt a lot. So he's going to be able to step right into this. But I just feel like this is as excited as Pete was today and granted Pete gets excited about everything, but as excited as he was. And some of the things he was saying to me, it was, they want this guy around. This feels like, and what you already mentioned, Brian, this feels like, you know, a Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill type of a trade. That's what this feels like more toward me. Now he is 29 years old. Did someone say he's actually younger than LJ Collier? I thought I saw that on Twitter somewhere. <laughs> he's that like practice. a year
1: older or something it was like so that. so
3: funny. Right. Yeah. But, um, and so I, I, I just feel like this is something they like the way he plays and he plays and can play in their scheme. And like you said, he's kind of a Swiss army knife along that line. So let's, let's keep him and hopefully, and this is what Pete said. He said, hopefully he likes it enough here. He'll stay with us. And I think that, that, that says a lot.
2: Yeah. Jeff, a question for you. So. If the name's different, I'm going to give you some different names. Would you feel different? Um, If it was instead of Leonard Williams, if it was Eric Armstead, forget that he's on the 49ers and you're taking him from, but just uh, as another player. If it was instead of Leonard Williams, it was Grady Jarrett. If instead of Leonard Williams, it was DeForest Buckner. Any one of those three, do you feel differently about the deal?
1: Uh, DeForest Buckner. I think he's he's, he's got. A, I think he's under contract for next year, and I just I see the way he's taken over games on multiple teams, and I think they're similar in age. I think they're drafted same year, and you're probably picking out for a reason.
2: Yeah, and, I am. All three of those guys, either either Leonard Williams' age or older. Eric Armstead, I surprised me actually. I forgot he was that he was he was that old. I thought he was younger. But twenty nine thirty, Um, from a pass rush perspective, um, I gotta re- refresh this page. But from a pass rush perspective, Leonard Williams is going to be above all of those guys in terms of pressures. Um, uh, let me just double check that. So, yes. He's actually one behind Javon Hargrave in pressures. Javon Hargrave is actually older than Leonard Williams. Um, so actually he's four behind Javon Hargrave. I was looking at Quinn and Williams for a second, but yes, he's, he's right there next to him, but yes, he's ahead of Eric Armstead. He's ahead of, you know, Kenny Clark, DeForest Buckner, Deron Payne, um, Grady Jarrett by quite a bit. Um, so Vita Vea, another name we've talked about. Um, so I think you know, if this had been a 25 26 year old Jeffrey Simmons, not you, but the one in Tennessee, uh, if it had been Jonathan Allen from Washington, you know, if you got a younger guy, even a Quinn and Williams, like that's a little different, right? Yeah, so yeah. he's older, he a
1: heartbeat.
2: but. I uh, I think that it's important for people to understand the kind of – he is he's is firmly in that second tier of defensive tackles, and he's right outside the top five, I would say, top six, seven in terms of pass rushing disruptors on the interior line.
1: That's what's so good about it, because some of the deals they've swung and taken such big chances on, yeah, we all didn't like a lot of the price points, but – they were very unique, like hard to fit in players like Percy Harvin and Jimmy Graham and even Jamal Adams to an extent were very unique and we're not just like scheme transcendent players. And Leonard Williams is transcended to a key, but you can basically put him in any front in the NFL and he's going to be a good player. And that's sort of where everyone will come back to a lot of those trades that didn't work out. But I always said, like, why don't they just get offensive linemen or defensive linemen if they're going to spend all that capital? That's where their money should go. So now that they actually did trade for one of those guys, it's hard for me to be like, well, I shouldn't have done that. It was too expensive. <laughs> you
2: know? See, we're, we're getting to him, Dana. We're getting to him. You know, yeah, I, I mean, Dana, I'm going to go the opposite side for you. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm kind of playing you two off each other in, in opposite ways here. So, So you can see why this will be potentially really positive for the team. What is your hesitation? Like, what is the reason if you're making the case about why this is a potentially damaging move for the team? What what comes to mind for you? Do you think about like, is this going to be the first time in a while that the Seahawks make a big trade and it actually is worthwhile in the end?
3: Right. It's been a minute, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, some of these trades have been good and that, th- but not good enough. Do you know what I mean? They're kind of sit right there. And so, yeah, um, I guess if you could look at the downside is only if they gave up so much for him and it's only for, you know, 10 games that, that it's not for any longer than that, that he doesn't sign again. Um, I, but it, even that is hard because to argue in, in, in my little Pollyanna brain, because um, you look at how much Jaren, I mean, Jaren Reed's played what, 68, 70% of snaps. He's going to get hurt. And so even that is hard to spin that even for the 10 weeks, he's not going to, you know, be helpful. But that's really the only downside of it. You know, maybe if he was coming from a different scheme or a scheme that didn't work or something, but it's hard because there are a lot of obvious positives to this. Um, the only true negative will be is if they can't manage to resign him. And then they gave up that second round pick for basically 10 games.
2: Yeah. A couple things I'll throw out for you guys that you may or may not know. And I'll give Doug Farrar credit for this. He wrote a really good article mm-hmm. breaking down this trade. I in the initially thought I was like, okay, I got to look at Leonard Williams from a lens of who he is as a player, what stats he's put up, what film he's put up. But then I have to just also remember he's playing next to Dexter Lawrence, one of the most dominant defensive tackles. How much is he just benefiting from that guy requiring double teams, triple teams? And Leonard Williams is just making, you know, making hay. Well, I think, I think what if I remember, I, I'm not going to get the exact numbers right, but according to Farrar, Dexter Lawrence has been double teamed about 120 snaps, and uh, Leonard Williams has been double teamed about 91. So Leonard Williams has been actually facing a fair amount of double teams. And so, I mean, I think that's a pretty good indication. He's also got a decent win rate in that situation. Um, He's also, like we talked about, he's played multiple spots on the line. He can play every single spot on that line, including edge. So I think there's some interesting opportunity for the Seahawks to potentially force the offense's hand. Because you can't just count on Leonard Williams being in the one tech or zero tech spot where, you know, you're going to be able to focus your blocking on him. If they slide him around and they then decide they need to double a certain place, that could open up a lot of things for other players. It could open up a lot of things for Boyam. Boyam Offey has not been rushing next to, you know, necessarily a super disruptive defensive tackle. And so and the other thing that, that I think uh, Doug Farrar brought up was interesting is, Leonard Williams is particularly gifted in stunts, twists on the line where you've got the tackle going inside or outside and, the, and the, the edge player circling around. The Seahawks are doing that a ton this year. So one of the things I'm curious about, Jeff, do you feel any differently about this move now after seeing Jaron Reed play after and like kind of have a revival in Seattle after seeing Mario Edwards playing above what we would have expected uh, after seeing Boye Mafe start to turn a corner. Do you think that you feel differently about the coaches like Clint hurt BT Jordan, anyone else identifying defensive line talent and knowing how to use them than you did six months ago? I kind of do, but I'm kind of curious for you.
1: I I absolutely do. Uh, I think BT Jordan's been a really underrated addition to the whole staff and what they've gotten out of Moffat and what they've gotten out of some of these guys. Like, Jerem Reed was terrible last year in Green Bay. And the fact that they not only identified him but have accentuated it, it's got to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. And if you look at everyone they've kind of let go, the Seahawks played Shelby Harris yesterday. Did you see him? Nope. I looked at PFF and he played, I think, 19 snaps. There were some very smart people begging the team to bring back Shelby Harris mm-hmm. uh, when he got released in the summer. We had some guys in our chat who were texting us every day. Like, we're going to, all we're going to talk about is how bad this interior defensive line group is going to be. I was the one who said it would be slightly better than last year, but I didn't see this coming. So I think these guys have earned the benefit of the doubt. You look, Al, Al Woods got hurt yesterday, unfortunately, but he has not been an impact player. He's 36 years old. Uh, Puna Ford has been functional the last couple weeks at best. All the guys they've decided to walk from and all the guys they've decided to bring in, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Clint Hurt, that's his thing. He's a defensive line guy. He went on Michael Shaw and Duger's podcast before he was the DC. He was really talking about how mad he was when they lost jaron reed and frank clark the first time and they brought in clowny and you can see he didn't love a lot of those moves and i don't know if he's getting more of a same personnel now but they've made much better evaluations in that spot in the last 12 months when everyone was kind of criticizing all the the turnover they did so i think i think you can't not come to that conclusion
2: yeah dana i mean we've been pretty hard on Clint Hurt and defensive coordinators over the years. And it feels warranted to spend at least a beat saying, well, you can't say that they're turning a corner and becoming one of the top 10 defenses and then not give any credit mm-hmm. to the defensive coaches for doing that.
3: I think that Jeff hit it on the head. It, he, I don't think he had his people right? Like, I don't think he had who he wanted playing. And, and, you know, maybe they, he had, a you know, a shorter leash because he was new at it. And, you know, we all know Pete likes to control the defense a little bit. So, um, I think that he has adapted to the players he had, which we didn't see last year at all. Um, he got some players in there that he wanted. Um, it does make you wonder how big of a hand he had in bringing back Reed and getting, you know, uh, Demonte, but it—I don't know. It's just bringing in Jones. Sorry,
2: Draymond Jones. Yeah, yeah,
3: Draymond Jones. So the thing of it is, to me, is that this team feels like on the defense that something snap, something clicked, some a light switch went on, and and I think that all the you know her and all of the other coordinators deserve a lot of credit for that. I guess what I'm trying to say is that maybe. Pete let him say, just let me do this. And he figured it out on his own, which would be very hard for Pete to do. And yet at the same time, I think we've seen him do that with offensive coordinators a ton. So maybe it was just time that he finally um, gave her what he wanted. And, and it seems to be working out. Now, I still don't know because <laughs> I still have PTSD and I'm a little bit nervous about what we saw yesterday. Um, out of the defense, which was a little choppy at times, but at the same time, we knew where the problem lie and they fixed that today.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Can I
3: I ask you guys a question? Sure. 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 This is what's really interesting to me after our very interesting conversation we had in our group chat today. So here's my, my question to both of you. I want to know who does bringing Leonard on I think he goes by, does he go by Leo? I guess we're gonna have to find that out. Anyway, um, Williams on, who does that help the most on our line? Because in my mind, it's Reed, obviously, because he can rotate in and out. But at the same time, when you bring in a player of that caliber, he ends up helping everyone on the line. So who do you think he helps the most?
1: I'd probably say Dre Jones. Really? Um, Dre's been the guy taking on a lot of the double teams. And he's not the kind of guy who's flashed like a lot of the high profile but if you like watch their Seattle's film over the last four weeks, he's done a really good job handling double teams and opening mm-hmm. things up. And you can see Boye Mafe has had the stretch, that same stretch. And Dre Jones has done like a lot of dirty work. He's not flashing a ton. He had a couple sacks here and there. But you mentioned for our stats where uh, Dexter, I'm uh, not Dexter, Leonard Williams had, I think, 92 double teams or something this year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you get that guy in single coverage against guards, it's going to make things a lot easier for him and it'll help Reed because he can manage his snaps a little bit. and He's playing a ton and you're going to come to the stretch of games against so many good offensive lines. But I think Dre Jones is the, the guy who really benefits because you can now move these guys. You can play them in different gaps. You took a defensive line group that looked like a massive, massive problem. And now it's a pretty big strength.
2: Yeah. I, I love that Jeff mm-hmm. and a note on Dre Jones he had his best game in terms of pressures produced yesterday. Five pressures yesterday, and to your point, like they don't show up as counting stats like uh, you know sacks in the same way. But 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 um, pressures are usually a better indication of, of someone who's a good pass rusher. So um, nice to see that he had three the game the, the game before against Arizona. So he's kind of started to come on a little bit. And you invested seventeen million a year in this dude, the most they've ever paid on a free agent ever. And, well, I guess outside of quarterback, but, but in any event um, and what you might have done, if things go exactly as you hope is you might've actually just turned that player loose. Like the, the, the investment that you made in Dre Jones, I think Dre Jones, we've all said it is not on his own, a massive difference maker. He's just not like he, he's not going to withstand that, but you put him next to a guy that commands a double team that is going to require a lot of focus. And all of a sudden, Dre Jones, I think, can be a big disruptor. So I think that's a great call out. I think, Dana, you're right, too. Jaron Reed just getting some rotation is going to be big. We also mentioned Mario Edwards, mm-hmm. who's, I think, started to wear down a little bit. I think it helps all of them. Um, but but Dre Jones is a great call out. Let, let me do this super mm-hmm. chat real quick, Dana. Mm-hmm. Uh, Runaway, it's Lubu. Says, damned if you do, damned if you don't, type of trade. People said we needed interior defensive line help. We got it now. Giving up a second rounder just proves that JS believes we can go all the way this year. Thank you, runaway. It's Lubu. You had another question, Dana, or did I didn't want to interrupt?
3: Well, no, I I just think that this also is it, to go along with who it helps the most, I think then it helps us most in the NFC too, because what we've seen out of San Francisco the last three weeks, their defense is really struggling. Purdy is struggling and and Richard Sherman went off on it today in his podcast. If you haven't listened, you should. But I think then, like you said, I too saw them play against the Niners and and he did so well. So I think that what that does is I still don't know. We won't know until we see a few games in how he plays, but I don't know that it makes Seattle a contender for the Super Bowl this year, but it sure makes you feel like that wild card game or that first round is a lot more doable, especially after we see how they play against, you know, San Francisco and Dallas, who is a little bit roller coastery, but still, you know, is a good team. And so I hate to say that. Yeah, it's like, oh, now they think we can go all the way. I don't know that. That's why I think it's more of a long-term investment, but at the same time, it makes you feel a lot better about some of those. Now, if we get the offense fixed, that'll be a whole different conversation we can talk about on Wednesday. But. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a Yeah.
2: So, Jeff, I want to come back to you on this. Um, what has to happen for this deal to have been a good deal? And in addition to that, I want you to tell me the probability that that's what's going to happen. Tell me what it has to happen for it to be a good deal and tell me the probability that it's going to be a good deal.
1: Uh, number one is he's going to have to be re-signed. If this is a trade for just 10 games. I think automatically you lose the deal. It's just not a good use of resources. And I don't know if this is a Super Bowl team quite yet, especially with how the quarterback's been playing. So number one, they have to sign him. And number two, he has to make a considerable impact. So that can be measured in a ton of different ways. Um whether it's pressures, whether it's opening up things for teammates, whether it's just, they're going to go up against the big boys in the NFL in the next few Mm weeks, next few months. Um, They played against a little bit of a lighter schedule. We saw a better defense yesterday, but playing Phillies line and playing San Francisco, Trent Williams, if you want to be like that first tier team, like they we've considered them that second tier NMC team. If They want to be the first tier team. You need to have a great defensive line. And I think the Seahawks have had a good defensive line and we don't know how that would have held up against some of the better teams. So I think he needs to be A, an impact player and B, he needs to sign an extension. So I put that probably like 35%, somewhere around there. I think there's probably a 35% chance that he's not only good but he also is signed. If he doesn't play well and they'll let him walk that's the disasters trade, or if he plays really well and they want you want to sign him and then he walks, and they like kind of screw up their whole free agency. Like they did with Clowney that one year we're left with like Benson Mayoa as their only edge rusher, that's a fail. So there's a lot of ways they can screw this thing up and the Seahawks typically don't do these trades with extensions in line. They would probably want to evaluate how he fits in, how he plays. So I, yeah, 35% for me,
2: Dana, same question to you. What would I mean- make this a success and what's the probability of it being successful?
3: I agree with what Jeff said. I will say this though, you know, Seattle, maybe they wanted to do an extension and he's like, no, I want to see how I like it there. I mean, you have to remember they have a little bit of an upper hand there too, um, without, you know, going into crazy money and, and the guy's 29. So it's a second contract. So I don't think it'll cost them, you know, the moon to get him depending on how he plays this year. Now, if he's lights out, that's a whole different conversation. And hopefully they'll want to spend a little bit more money on that. But here's the thing. I think what makes this a successful trade is re-signing him If he plays well, I agree with that. I think that's just kind of a logical answer, right? Like it's, he has to make an impact in one way or another. He has to make this defense better and then they have to sign him. I give the probability a little bit more higher than Jeff. I don't think it's 35%. I think you've got a good 50, 55, 60% chance that he plays well here. I just really feel like they wouldn't have brought him in if they didn't think he was going to be a fit and that they re-sign him because they're already talking about it. They're already putting that information out there. And the players are jackedies here. I mean, all of them are. And so I think that that, you know, the the players who you know are going to be around, you have, you know, Nino and you have Jamal and you have those guys who we know are going to be around are excited to have him here. So hopefully that'll be an influence too. But I, so I think it's a higher probability than Jeff does, but the criteria is about the same. I mean, what else do you want? re yeah. him and have him be a
2: good player yeah it's funny like for me the amount of money that they have to assign also factors in a little bit um and how many years he okay. is an impact player you know um uh but the funny thing is i roughly the same thing you guys said mm-hmm. and my probability is around 30 <laughs> percent maybe 35 and i'm okay with that because really? here's the thing Oh. well because like the reality is dana great players are really what sorry what did i do
3: no it's okay it So like i don't know the problem is dana <laughs>
2: like, no what? no the reality <laughs> is i not, not, not mean it that way the reality is dana that that <laughs> when players move when teams are willing to trade somebody there's usually a reason they're usually not mm-hmm. it's very very rare for a top shelf player to be moved And for them to then work out and play well. Like Jalen Ramsey is an example of a guy who did in, you know, with the Rams or Matthew Stafford. The Rams actually got very fortunate in making a few of these, which generally are like really, really bad ideas. And it worked out for them, but it worked out in the short term even there. Like it wasn't even a long term move. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a decent chance there's the odds are that the Seahawks will not get the value back that they that they put out. That's, the, that's my best guess. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a little bit of flawed logic, though, because the, 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 the kind of thought there is, oh, if they didn't get Leonard Williams by trading these two picks, then they would have addressed their defensive tackle depth issue some other way, either this year or next year, and they would have found somebody who was impactful. As I said when the show started... 13 years, and the Seahawks have yet to draft an impact defensive tackle. They have really yet to sign one in free agency either. They've yet to acquire one via trade. So the Seahawks have not done well in this regard. I think their chances of getting a defensive tackle, the quality of Leonard Williams, any other way for the next three years is way below 30%. Way below 30%. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to keep it real. I don't think this is like a slam dunk. I think the odds are stacked against them. I think they made a bet. They made a gamble. And I think it's a wise gamble. I understand why they did it. In addition to that, here's the thing. I Follow my logic here, all right? If they had drafted Jalen Carter last year, or this year, okay? Would they have added a cornerback the level of Devin Witherspoon any other way? No chance. No chance. And would they have even thought to add, a, let's say, a cornerback the level of Leonard Williams within within his rank of like the top 10 defensive tackle, would they have added a top 10 corner, like a Leonard Williams-esque level corner? I'd say no way. So, what this does is it gives you this opportunity to build a defense that now has a different ceiling than it would have had if they'd gotten Jalen Carter. We would have been talking Tariq Woolen, who's been having an okay year, Trey Brown, who's good, but a few years into his deal. I think this is his third year. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about Artie Burns and worrying about Kobe Bryant. So, now you have the potential to get. Exactly what I said before. Have your cake and eat it too. I think that the the potential for this defense, if this deal works out, is that this becomes a top five defense.
3: They already are, aren't they?
2: Depends on how you look. I mean, oh, not,
3: okay. You know, depends on who's grading, right? <laughs>
2: who's grading, right? So, like, I. I, that's how I look at it. If you told me there's a 30% chance that the Seahawks can make a move to make them a top five defense over the next few years, is it worth it? Is it worth a second round pick? Then I say, yeah, I think it's worth it, but yeah. I think there's a decent chance it won't work out.
3: <laughs> and, and Brian, you are someone, I mean, admitted, self-admittedly, you you are someone who really values those draft picks. I mean, that is a huge, huge deal to you. Like, huge, huge deal. Not everyone does. I've seen it in our chat, a lot of people are like, oh, it's just a second round pick. And I kind of agree if it's a low second round pick and versus a high third round pick doesn't really matter. No to you, it does. And that's okay. I mean, that's the, it's just the way people look at it. So really, I mean, we won't know how this works out until the end of the season. And we can hope that it was worth that and that it continues to be worth that compared to what you could have got. I just think that a proven player for a second round pick is a little safer bet than necessarily hopefully what they would get in the second round.
2: Yeah. I mean, Jeff, I, I, there's a little bit of like game theory to this as well. I've, I've heard, you know, Dana's point, people saying, Hey, it's probably gonna be a low second round pick. Well, DK was a low second round pick. Um, Zach Charbonnet was a low second round pick. He's pretty valuable. um, Depending on who you're asking. Um, but there's this, you know, you brought up this notion of Sheldon. It's another Sheldon Richardson trade, Jeff. I, I get it. I, all those things make sense on the face. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the Seahawks made a Sheldon Richardson trade that doesn't that didn't work out really has no bearing on whether this trade's gonna work out. Uh the, Oh, you're on mute, Jeff.
1: Okay, I, I owe a dollar. Um it's a purely emotional response. Yes. Uh, just because yeah. something didn't work out in the past doesn't mean it's gonna happen again. Uh, I just think I think that like your tweet today was really good, that a, giving up draft picks for older players is typically bad team building and giving up players for guys who are on side is even worse. And people who view things from like an analytical perspective and view things that way are gonna hate this trade. And I understand it because my first reaction was, that's, that's an uh, overpay. But I'll come back and I'll say this, context does matter. And if you're evaluating this roster, I know every draft pick is good. They have the extra third from either Denver or New Orleans. I'm not quite sure who that is yet. But um, if you're really evaluating this roster, you think, okay, like what are their long-term needs right now?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. They don't have a lot of them. Like if this was last year or the year before, I would have – like coming out of 2021, they didn't have a tackle. They didn't have a corner. They didn't have an edge rusher. The fact that they've replaced all these premium spots in two drafts and great free agencies and – they had i would have crushed them for this trade but if you look like they got four edge rushers essentially under contract they've got they got some work of the linebacker that's but they have guys in house they can bring back uh their corners are in place their safeties are in place for another year all three of them uh offensive line damian lewis a free agent wide receiver running back two young guys there's not a lot of players you can really so a second round pick typically is horrible, but a late second round pick on this roster it might just be a depth player. So the fact that you can get an impact player, I think context does change things. And again, if you were the the Giants, for example, or Arizona, and you made a trade like this, it's an F, instant F. The fact that the Seahawks are at a different point in time, I know this was sort of the rationale that forced them into that Percy Harvin trade, which was terrible for many reasons, but. I just view this very differently. And I don't see the kind of risk that they have with Percy Harvin. Yeah. It's Jeff, just it's, offensive it's, line, defensive line.
3: Jeff, it's funny you say that because I saw a bunch of Raiders fans talking about this trade today. And they were talking um, with Mo. And he was like, oh, I love Leonard Williams, but there's no way I'd, I'd spend a second on him. And in the comment, in the argument that was going on, it's like, of course you wouldn't because you're the Raiders. You're not in a place where you should be doing that. You have an entire team to rebuild. You have to go from top to bottom. You can't just pick in one player and plug him in and have him change this team. Seattle is a different team. So your point is exactly right. If you look at some of these other teams, it would have been a disaster and an idiotic for them to go after him. But for Seattle, to me, it made sense.
2: Yeah. Like DS Gridge late second round pick. Like, they, they, you know, right. if, if somebody knew that that's what you're getting, I don't think anyone would be that concerned. I do have to say, you know, I am the sees all sides person, and I know that's annoying at times. Like I'm, I'm generally happy about this trade. Like I'm generally happy. I wanted. I've been so frustrated about the lack of defensive tackle play Mm -hmm. for years on this team. I'm so envious when I watch other teams and I watch interior. The most effective way to affect a quarterback. There's all this love for edge rushers. All this love for edge rushers. You want to mess up an offense. You disrupt from the inside Mm -hmm. out. And so like the chance that we're going to be able to watch that even for 10 games as a fan, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like I want to see that I'm ready for it. I want to see Devin Witherspoon blitzing off the edge with no one paying attention because Leonard Williams, I want to see Jamal Adams blitzing up the middle or wherever Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, because Leonard Williams, I want all that. At the same time, please folks stop with this. They've got an extra third round pick so they can afford to get rid of this one. They will probably get a comp pick out of this if he doesn't sign. So they'll get a fourth. No, that's not how it works. Like the same way I told Jeff, I don't think you can say just because the Sheldon Richardson trade was bad that this one's going to be bad. These are all independent decisions. You can only judge it by the value that you gave and the value that you get. And in this case, the Seahawks gave up a second round pick and a fifth round pick. For a guy in the thirty-year-old that's in the last year of his deal, either that's going to turn out to be good or bad. If they if he ends up signing elsewhere, we've seen that before. It often doesn't end up in a comp pick because you have to not sign players in order to get the comp pick, and there's all sorts of other factors. So don't assume you're getting a comp pick. And plus, that comp pick is another year out, so like it's even less valuable. And the fact he got a third round, extra third round pick has nothing to do with the fact that you also have a second round pick and you no longer do. So like, I, I just think that that's a really slippery slope of just trying to cope and come up with a reason why this yeah. makes sense. I don't think you have to do that here. Like either it'll be worth it or it's not, but they took a risk. And I think like what we just talked about, I think there's reason for them to do so.
1: There's nothing more overrated in the NFL than comp picks. <laughs> I spent years listening to all these process-driven people praise the 49ers for all these comp picks they were getting. These comps come at the end of the third and fourth round, and sometimes fifth round and sixth round. There's, like, giant talent gaps there. Like, everyone's like, oh, my God, the 49ers have four comp picks the last two years. Go look and so- see who they drafted. They drafted a kicker. They drafted a uh, six-string cornerback, a uh, fifth-string defensive tackle. Like, Comp picks are a very low rate. So I hate that that's become like the rationalization for a good move. And the Seahawks were guilty. The fans, were, we were all guilty of this for years. Like, oh, look how many comp picks they're loading up for. Like, they're not signing anyone for agency. And then, like, they got, like, Amara Darbo. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah. like, I agree. Like, so, a, for you to get a comp pick, it means you have to have, an, uh, uh, like, a number of players coming in versus players coming out. If you lose Leonard Williams and with all these linebackers and tight ends, they have that are set to be free agents. That means you're going to have to have more players leaving than coming in, which would be horrible for the team. I don't care about a fourth round end of fourth round pick in 2025.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Yes. Uh, Jesse Thank Dunn you. with a super chat. Jesse Dunn with a super chat here says sack and pressure numbers have been mediocre. Giants fans seem to feel he was fine, but overpaid and overrated. Feels like a massive overpay, especially when Montez Sweat and Chase Young are still out there. So, so, so Jesse, I, I appreciate this. I appreciate the different perspectives. We need to cover these. First of all, let's just talk about Montez Sweat, Chase Young, different position, different players, edge players. They're not defensive tackles. They're not interior linemen. These are guys that you would add if you wanted to essentially, you know, hedge your bet on Frank Clark uh, maybe cut Frank Clark, even after you just signed him, maybe Derek Hall doesn't play as much, things like that. Um, they were not really, it's not an either or, I don't think mm-hmm. in this case. Um, so let's let's set that aside. We'll come back to Edge in just a second. I think there's a case to be made that, that Leonard Williams has, has uh, regressed a little bit. His numbers are down a little bit and he is getting older. I'll tell you my view of it. I don't think he was particularly like motivated in New York. And that's a very dangerous Spanish assumption to make. Oh, he's going to love it in Seattle, he'll just play better. Defensive like defensive linemen wear down. They get older, it's a lot of work and maybe he's just wearing down. So that's a possibility. But I've seen play from him recently that suggests to me he still has that level of play in him and I think if he hit free agency he would command a significant contract um, even based on what he's doing so I think he is still a very very valuable player and I think there is the potential that he could I'll put the probability as higher than 30 I think there's like a 50 to 60 percent chance that he is a better version of himself in Seattle Mm -hmm. than what he was in New York.
3: Oh, I completely agree. Because you have to remember the mindset. I, I I know that a lot of Seahawks fans don't really pay attention to other, you know, especially the East Coast teams. I get that. Totally get it. But if you could just watch these players play in New York, excuse my language, but the give a fuck was just not there. Like they could care less, right? It was, they didn't, they knew they weren't winning. They had a horrible offense. They were treating Saquon Barkley terribly. Like these players just didn't, care because they knew they weren't going anywhere. They weren't getting anywhere. So you go from a last place team to a first place team that wants you there and has an option of getting to the postseason and beyond. Yeah. You're going to kick it up, then throw in a contract year on top of it. Right. And so now I think, and having more than just one competent player around you, I think that that's going to be huge for him. I, I, it Spanish. It is like, a, oh, he's going to be so happy to be on my team. I get that. But at the same time, it's somewhat logical. Because when you're down in the dumps because your team is that crappy, you know, it's hard to get up for a game. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see pretty quickly, too, I think.
2: All right. I, 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 I honestly could keep going for an hour plus. Right. I'm going to ask you guys a few more questions and let you go. Um, Jeff, what does this do for the Seahawks now, this year? And I'm talking about uh, all the all the facts on the table. The Seahawks are 5-2, first place in the NFC West, second place in the NFC overall. They've had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. They've got one of the hardest schedules the rest of the way. Young team. Uh, Gino has been uneven. Like, all that together. What does this move do for where the Seahawks rank in the NFC.
1: I think it's a big time floor raiser. not like a crazy ceiling razor, like an elite player is, but I think it just gives you, it brings your floor up as a team. Um, just, I think, I think over time they were going to be playing with fire with that defensive line group. And again, once the competition spikes up in the next month, I think they would have been a little exposed. We saw it a little yesterday at the Cleveland and So I think this does raise their floor. I think I saw them as a team that could win one playoff game max with the way things were going. I thought maybe they could win a wild card game. They just didn't have the horses. I think maybe this gives you a chance to win two. And that's a big deal. I think this gives you a chance. I didn't think San Francisco would kind of play defense the way they have. And if you look, I think Philly right now, we're going to see Philly. Philly looks like the best team in the NFC right now. And they got, they're got they the best teams on the lines in the league. So having a f- guy who can be, A, your best defensive lineman, but Doug Forer wrote so well, they called him a force multiplier, meaning that he can make everyone better. And, again, he's not an elite player, especially at this point in his career. He's pushing 30. He's, he was the number two guy in New York. But we've seen him take over games. Like There was that game where the Seahawks lost to Colt McCoy where Brian wore a bag over his head. <laughs> that's a famous game in Seahawks, uh, real Hawk talk war. Go watch that game. The best player in the field was Leonard Williams, and mm-hmm. that was 2020, I think, or 2021. I can't remember. What, I think it was 2020. So it's been a couple of years, but just again, the Seahawks don't have a defensive lineman right now that's capable of doing that. As much as we like Reed or Draymond Jones, has been good at what he does. So having someone that could take over a game and be a game wrecker and just. I think that multiplies things for Boya Mafé, for our Jones, for Reed. And that has a chance to just take a a group that looked pretty good at all levels of the defense right now and make them better. It can help in the run game. It can help in the pass game. So I think this is, again, more of a floor raiser than
2: a ceiling raiser. It's interesting. Dana, how about you?
3: Um, kind of look at it two two ways, on the field and off the field. On the field, um, I, I think that Jeff's right. He just he just makes everyone around him better. It's one more person on there to really disrupt those lines and go after some of those high power offenses that we are going to have to deal with here very quickly, including Sunday. Like, and they say that he'll probably play Sunday, and that'll be good to see because Baltimore's no joke, right? So we're going to have to really um, kind of step it up for that. Um, And so I just think that he's going to make everyone around him better and make a huge impact probably pretty quickly. Off the field, I saw a couple interesting conversations because you guys know I love to look at what the fans' reactions are to everything, right? Because, you know, we have a bunch of analysts around here, but I like to look at what the fans do. So the 49ers are pissed. Those fans are mad. And they were going off. Poor Mike Silver today. And I don't say poor Mike Silver very often, but he was fielding stuff left and right of it's like, Why are the Niners just sitting on their hands when the Seahawks and the Eagles are getting better? We're not doing anything. We're terrible. Now, granted, they're coming off of three losses, right? And so I think that to a certain extent, it puts the league or at least the NFC on notice that Seattle plans on being contended with. They plan on being a problem. They plan on being a disruptor and so i think that's not something that they've had in quite a few years now you know they've always been that plucky team who manages to get into the the playoffs right and so i think that this shows that that they're more serious about that and so i think psychologically for the fan base um and other fan bases it just takes seattle to another level that they are trying to do something and isn't that what we've been asking for? Just do something. And then they finally did it. So so I think that it's kind of twofold um, on and off the field, but I just think it's going to be good all the way around.
2: Yeah, I, I, it really, it's very hard for me to, you know, get into a deal that goes against my roster building tendencies. And I really love the way the Seahawks have played the last two seasons in the roster building. I think their drafts have been excellent. I think that they have acquired and kept draft picks. They have signed guys free undrafted free agents. I think they've really turned this roster around in the right way. Um, But I don't think there's any other way to look at this. than this Seahawks team is considerably better than the one That finished the game yesterday, period. Like they are meaningfully better. If Leonard Williams is just is just what he was in New York, like not any better at all, just what he was in New York. This team's meaningfully better than it was yesterday. If Leonard Williams actually steps up his play and regains some of form he's had before, where you're talking about a top six disruptor in the defensive line then I think we don't know what the hell we have folks. I think, I think we can talk about it. One win in the playoffs, two wins in the playoffs. Sure. I would have told you, you were batshit crazy three weeks ago that the 49ers would lose three games in a row, including one to the Cleveland Browns and to Kirk cousins. you know, uh, so like, I would have never thought then that there was serious conversations about whether Brock Purdy should be benched and that they should play Sam Darnold. And, I would have never, ever guessed that. I would have never guessed that their defense would be falling apart and giving up chunks of yards to everybody. And people are saying they got to fire their defensive coordinator and that Mm -hmm. they got to make multiple trades just to be a contender. Would have never thought that. I don't think the Eagles have looked that good. I think they've looked okay. Jalen Hurts is dealing with a knee injury. Like, we don't know what we have. What I will say is, Before this trade, I would have told you I thought the Seahawks had a real chance of being significantly better at the end of this year than they are right now. They've got enough young players who I think are building and learning and enough new players that are coalescing. I think this team is built to have a classic Pete Carroll flourish to the end of the season. And I don't think I'd said that about a lot of teams. So I'm not just Pollyanna. I I think that's my feeling of how this roster is built. And now I think that they've raised, I do think they've raised their ceiling. I also think Jeff's right that they've raised their floor. And I I can't tell you what it's going to mean. And that's part of what I'm looking forward to seeing. Like I enjoy watching the Seahawks defense play now. I'm going to enjoy it more. And that's awesome. So last question I have for you, then I'll let you guys go is about the 49ers, because I think there's one more day, like one o'clock, I think Eastern time, maybe tomorrow. I can't remember, but it is the trade deadline. Assumption is that they were going to make at least one move, maybe two moves, maybe a cornerback, maybe another edge rusher. They have like 40 million. They have some crazy amount of cap space this year that the expectation has been that they were going to roll that over to next year to cover all the the salaries they're going to have to cover next year. They got Brandon Ayuk, they got extended, they got a lot of contracts. Mm But at the same time, it does give them the opportunity to do the opposite of what the Seahawks do. They could potentially take on a lot of salary this year if they wanted to instead of having the opposing team pay and potentially give less draft pick compensation as a result. Seattle traded more draft pick compensation to play pay less this year. 49ers could do the opposite. Jeff, what's your expectation with the 49ers? Do they make a move? Do they make one move? Do they make two moves? Do they make no moves?
1: I don't think they're going to make a move. I think I think there's just a lack of players that kind of fit what their timeline is. Uh, some of the bigger players available right now are Sweat and Chase Young, who are more of like the guys that teams are going to want to sign beyond this year. They can't really do that, and the price they're going to have to pay. The Niners are going to really need draft picks move forward because they they got a lot of cap problems. So they already kind of made their move with Randy Gregory. There's not a lot of snaps left for edge rushers. Maybe they pick up like a someone for like a fifth round pick, but I heard Kyle's talking today and I was, I was listening to his press conference. He didn't seem very optimistic. Like anything was in the pipeline. Maybe he was playing coy. He's certainly done that. Before. I think, I just think it's a, it's a tie, a weird market right now. And like the team to watch maybe is the Vikings with Daniel Hunter. because his other season's probably over. So that might be the guy that fits the 49ers because he's a rental one-year guy. But I think he's going to have to cost a second-round pick or a third-round pick. and I don't know if I see the Niners doing that. I think they might just say, okay, we're going to get better internally and we'll roll with that. I don't know if outside help is going to fix what's going
3: on there.
2: Dana, how about you?
3: I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. And so, therefore, I'm pretty sure that they're going to do something. And it's going to be something that's going to piss me off because it's usually, I mean, that's what happened last year with Christian McCaffrey. I'm like, really? you, uh-huh. oh. Right. So irritating. But at the same time, Jeff has a point where, which player, what makes sense there, you know, they already have so much money going out in the next two to three years, you know, and they're going to need to keep some of that cap space unless they plan on dumping, which I just doesn't sound like something that they would do. Um, but so I, I expect them to, I, I, the pessimist me expects them to do something and get something big. And it's going to make me mad. But at the same time, I can't really think of who that would be. You're right, Hunter. But I don't know. I think that he'll probably go somewhere else. But I think that I can see them doing something. I just don't know what. And I don't know what would help them because they have such a strong starting, you know, group as it is. So, yeah, but probably just to irritate me.
2: Uh, I... I think that for all the almost the opposite reasons about why we've been critical of this trade, you know, or some, some, there's been some criticism of this trade for Seattle are are really apply well for the 49ers. They have to be all in this year. Like they have, they are built to win it this year. They've got contract stuff. That's going to be hellish. They're not gonna be able to keep this crew together. It makes all the sense in the world for them to get a rental player. They can't afford to sign another guy to a long-term deal. Uh, if they draft a second rounder or a third rounder, even a first rounder next year, chances that that player is going to come in and actually play on this team is probably not that high. And so I think they got to be all in. I think they got to be all in. And I would expect them. I think Daniel Hunter is exactly who is on my mind. Like, I think all of a sudden that makes a bunch of sense. And I think that they'll, I mean, they'll cut Randy Gregory if they have to, they won't care about that. Um I think pass rush is going to be a primary they, like they they've always valued the defensive line like they clearly and <laughs> they've spent a lot of first round picks on it. I think that's one move. I don't know if there's a corner that's available for them to get, but if there is, they might look for it. So I expect them to at least make one move um on the defensive line. We'll see. If they don't, it's going to be very interesting cuz that fan base is on edge. And they want blood. So that'll be interesting to watch. The other thing to be aware of, folks, I don't know if the Seahawks are done. Um, and I mean that in both ways. I think that the Seahawks, if they get, I don't think they're going to be hunting for stuff. But if there's something like, I think Carl Lawson in the for the Jets, edge Rusher, young guy who's been a productive edge Rusher before, if they can get him for a fifth round pick or a conditional pick because the Jets are just looking for anything, I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks pull a trigger on that. It wouldn't shock me at all. Um,
1: What about D Eskridge for Carl (laughs) Lawson?
2: Well, so that's the other thing. I think there's going to be some players potentially going the other way. I think uh, Michael Jackson is a potential move elsewhere. I think Artie Burns is a potential move elsewhere. I think D Eskridge is a potential move elsewhere. Um, So we'll see. I, I, I don't know on the offensive line, but like, Maybe, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of any other players, but I think there could be players that they're moving out um, as well. So we'll see. They
1: should trade uh, Jake Curran to the 49ers.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Oh Wouldn't that be nice? I like Jake. I just don't want he's him a he's, a, he's
0: a good player.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anything else before I let you uh, you all have released to your nights? Jeff, any last last thoughts, last words?
1: If you want a good kick, uh, go on. Pull up David Lombardi's Twitter. Uh, he's he tweets like he's a member of the team, and he's he's dealing with a lot of stress. So his favorite team is standing out. Um, we got to enjoy this while we can. Three weeks ago, we were talking about if these guys were going to lose it all. So if you want some good Twitter, uh, pull up Grant Cohn. Pull up uh, David Lombardi. Uh, but man, it's it's this Baltimore game just got a lot more interesting. Oh yeah.
2: I mean, you're so funny. You're so right about the, the weeks ago. I, you remember at the first game, kind of as a tongue in cheek, but kind of serious, I was posting the tankathon rankings of CFC. Uh, I, I was serious.
1: <laughs> I was totally serious.
2: Right? Unreal. Unreal how well, people went out, I thought
1: they were going to look like they did in Cincy every week. I,
2: uh, it's unreal. unreal. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Okay. Uh, Dana, any closing thoughts for you?
3: Uh, no, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. I want to see if Frank Clark can get a little better this week, and we'll be able to talk about that on Wednesday. But as for this trade and as for um, everything, I, I'm ha- I've i had a hell of a good sports, 36 hours. It has been so good because Seattle won and Kansas City lost a difference. Made me laugh. And you know, all these the ers lost, but then sporting Kansas City kicked the shit out of St. Louis. I mean, it was just a, it was really great for us. So um I'm I'm glad that the high could continue today with the trade. So
2: love it. Well, this move absolutely wrecked my day. I was not able to <laughs> focus on work. Uh so thank you and screw you, Seahawks, for that. Thank you. If you haven't already, give the show a like uh subscribe to the channel because you don't know when we're gonna have another emergency pot i could hang up from this thing and they can make another deal and we'll be right back on uh and then go to patreon.com slash sign up right now get access to the slack channel where the conversation continues and i mean folks become a ring of honor member i keep telling you it is a good thing to do not only can you if you got anything you want to advertise we will make that part of the show we'll add it to the blog Um, but also you get to join us for a wonderful steak dinner here coming up near Thanksgiving. So do it now. Ring of Honor, only a few spots left. Uh, and, And until you hear more from us or more from the Seahawks, take care. Have a wonderful evening. Go Hawks. Hey, folks, this is Brian Demhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe, have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show, and then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month, get you immediate access to our Slack channel, join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention, become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the Tate morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.